Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed and I'm joined this morning by a real life volunteer who changed her name, of course. Uh, so I'm joined this morning by Cindy Hill and she was kind enough to volunteer and have us create a uh, financial model or retirement model for her live on the air. Um, so this has been um, exciting for me anyway, and hopefully uh, good makes for good radio listening. We're working through creation of her financial plan. We've done most of the um, sort of data entry and sort of all the um, conversations we need to have surrounding all the assumptions that you make when you create a plan. Um, and we're getting to the good stuff, as I just said to Cindy off air. Um, we're getting to the point where we're going to be looking at some of the reports and, and making sure all looks well for Cindy. So um, if anyone wants to follow along on my screen, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here next to Cindy and we're, <coughs> excuse me, walking. Um, oh, sorry, somebody was trying to join and I had to allow, <coughs> apologies for that if there was a delay in that. Um, if someone wants to follow along, if you're in front of your computer, your iPad, you can go to join.me, which is J-O-I-N, join.me forward slash McNamara Financial. And you should be able to um, uh, see my screen and follow along because we're getting to a point where we're going we're gonna to be looking at some reports. So that will be fun. So again, if you want to follow along as we're doing this, go to join.me forward slash McNamara Financial. And McNamara is M-C, no A in there. M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A. Well, lots of A's, but not at the beginning. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're, um, we've done a lot of the data entry for Cindy and we're just, this is like the last screen of data entry, which is um, her assets financial assets. So her investment accounts. Um, and we're going to, I was just getting to the point where we were talking about Cindy has um, a 401k, some IRAs, a couple of Roths, uh, a non-retirement investment account and a cash in a pretty large cash position. So actually very well diversified from a tax perspective in terms of your investment accounts. So that's right, great. Thank you. Yep. It's nice. To, I, I, when I work with my younger clients, it's nice to, um, one thing I talk about is tax diversification in your future. When you get to retirement, it's nice to have different um, chunks of money that aren't fully taxed at income rates, like your 401k IRAs will be fully taxed at income rates. It's nice to have a, you, you have a Roth position, you have um, some non-retirement investments and you have, and you have cash. So it's great. You have, you've covered all the bases here, Cindy. So congrats. Um, one, just one piece of information I don't know is what the cost basis is on that invested, um, you have like a $450,000 non-retirement investment account. And I don't know the exact tax 
tax basis on that. It's uh, that's okay. We can make an educated guess for today. So, of this 450, I think it was at two, two custodians or one. Uh, one. Okay. All at Vanguard. Um, oh, that's your IRA. Hold on. Is it this one here? Yes. So here's the cash position, and then here's the rest of it. So, how have you had this a very long time? No. You've had it a few years. Only a couple. Like, oh, okay. Say it, maybe a year. Okay. So then I'm going to call your tax basis, make it pretty high, 400000 uh, out of 450. So that models, actually, you've had it like 12 months. Yeah. So probably like, because you, you invested, you immediately had a downturn and then you've had a recovery. So actually the, 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 what you invested might be about what it's worth now. So, probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So, all right. Last um so if I actually go right here to goal funding, I'm uh, this will just pop up a nice, like this will total it for us. So I'm ignoring your checking account at the bank, obviously, and we're gonna, we're gonna ignore some of the cash in a moment here, but I'm getting your total financial assets, not including your home at about 2.4 million. Right, okay. Just wanna make sure that sounded about right to you. Um, of the cash position, as right before we had to take that break, we were talking about Cindy has a large cash position, about 660000 in a money market, um, largely from an inheritance. Just wanted you to kind of separate that um, in your mind. And also we'll do it here on the software between an amount that you would earmark for emergencies and like try never to spend that unless a true emergency comes. Um, and then the rest of it, I'm going to call spendable in okay. retirement. So do you have a number in mind? I would use like 50 or 100000 as your emergency account. I'd say 100. Yeah, you're pretty conservative. I was going to go on the high side too. So I'm going to call your emergency cash of this 667. I'm going to call that 100,000. And then I'm going to, in a moment, I'm going to um, subtract it from the total there. Okay. So cost basis will be the same. And that's earmarked for your emergency fund where the rest of your assets are earmarked for retirement. So I just got to go in here and I got to shrink this. So we kind of just reallocated those dollars in the plan. So essentially the software will spend all it, it it will be it will allow itself to spend all but a hundred thousand of your cash plus you had that that um, checking account and we always ignore those as well. Um, just wanted to make sure nobody else was trying to jump in. Um, okay, so if I quickly go back here to goal funding, you can see assets are still 2.4 million, but of that earmarked for retirement is about 2.3 million. And then we've ignored 100,000 and we're calling that your emergency fund. The software by default will not spend an emergency fund. It will also not spend equity in your home unless we override that and model some sort of spending or allow the software to spend. So the, soft, the, the, first, the first iteration of this will be ignore the equity in your property, ignore this 100,000 of emergency reserves and everything else is on the table and is spendable in retirement. Okay. okay. Um, last assumption we need to make is how uh, rate of return on your assets in retirement. So as I touched on a little bit ago, and I wasn't sure if you're aware, but your you tilt to the aggressive on almost all of your dollars, except for the large cash position. And I was saying that it's actually great that you have this cash position in case uh, there was a there was a downturn in the market for a period of time. You're sort of well positioned with that cash position right now um, to weather that storm. I was hoping we might have time this morning to go through a risk assessment with you, but I don't know. So I want to <laughs> hold that to the end because I, of course, want to get to the analysis and get to the logistics and the planning for you um, and in the implementation of your plan for you. So I'm going to hold that for now. But with our clients, we go through, um, there's, there's, there's lots of ways to assess someone's comfort level with risk, but all through the morning, you've been saying, I want to model this conservatively. I want to be conservative. I want to, so I'm just going to, I'm going to assume that at, at some point, whether it's now or in your near future, future, your portfolio is is a con, uh, like a moderately conservative portfolio. Okay. Um, and that could be, you know, right now you kind of, you, you, overall, I feel like your your uh, asset allocation is um, cohesive, account by account, it's not necessarily, but overall you have some domestic stock exposure, international stock exposure. You have a little bit of bond exposure, but you have a large cash position, which is your stable exposure. So overall, um, I still think you're probably a little bit too much to the aggressive based on based on what you're expressing to me and probably based on the fact that your plan I hope is going to look pretty good and you might not have to take so much risk with your money. Okay. And so that would, you know, in general, maybe you don't want to take more risk with your money than you really have to to afford your life. So we can kind of touch on that when we get to the end. But I'm just going to make the assumption right now that your accounts are tilting to the conservative. So our definition of a moderately conservative investment account has about 30 to 40% stock 
stock exposure and the rest bonds and stable investments. And in the, the pri- someone that's in that portfolio their primary goal is preservation of my capital and outpacing inflation. So if inflation averages two or 3%, let's assume you can earn four or 5% in a moderately conservative portfolio. And maybe that's not a super exciting return, but your main objective there is preservation of capital and tempering your downturn. Because as you get older, and especially when you retire, you're more uh, sensitive or susceptible to those downturns because you don't have your earned income anymore and you're drawing from your portfolio. So are are you okay with that assumption that I'm going to assume? obviously comfortable with risk because you've got some risky investments. However, it's been a great decade to have some risky investments. That might change. It might not be the case in the next decade. And situationally, it might be appropriate for you to start thinking about toning down the risk in your portfolio. So I'm going to I'm going to assume what I'm going to put you in what we're calling our conservative balanced portfolio, which is a balance like you have some balanced investments in your account here. So mm-hmm. a couple of those Vanguard funds are balanced. A balanced portfolio implies like 50 to 60% stock exposure. I'm just going to tone that down a little bit. It's a more conservative way to run a model. You okay with that? Yes. And if we have time, we'll get to that risk assessment at the end so I can confirm or I can always send it to you afterwards and we can confirm that that assumption we made is close to accurate. Okay. Okay. So I'm putting you in our conservative balanced portfolio. The default return in my software is a little over five. We can tone that down. I can use a four, four and a half if you want to run it conservatively, but it's, it's a portfolio that we, that should have minimal downside in poor markets and should outpace inflation long-term. That's the goal there. So you'll ha- so have a real return of a, maybe a couple percent long-term. Um, so just give me a moment where I go here and I just assign you all to that conservative balanced portfolio. In reality, um, I think that tax diversification, I'm sorry, well, I do think tax diversification is a good thing, which we just talked about, but I, I think that portfolio diversification is a good thing mm-hmm. and is appropriate for people. Meaning if you have one, two, three, four, five, six different chunks of money or six different accounts, you actually have more, but we could, you know, you could consolidate if you wanted to. If you had six different chunks of money that had to be separate for tax reasons, you don't have to have the same portfolio for every chunk of money. So there's, there's layer, there's ways that you can diversify your portfolio. You like, you might have some of your bigger accounts, uh, moderately conservative, maybe the Roth or, or the inherited IRA or, or some of the smaller accounts, maybe those are balanced, or maybe you have one moderately aggressive just as like a hedge, you know, if markets are good, um, just for that like emotional component of when markets are good. Um, so, so, but for just for, uh, just for purposes of keeping it simple for today, I'm going to put you in a, I'm going to put your whole portfolio conservatively tilting. Okay. Okay. Now, one question though, obviously the emergency reserves I'm leaving as cash. Um, one question though, you have, um, actually hold on. This is a retirement inherited IRA. Um, you have that large cash position. Do you want to assume that stays in cash for the moment, cash CDs or the like, or do you want, or are, are you thinking that 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 is potentially investable in a conservative portfolio, or do you feel more comfortable just I'm just going to leave that as cash? We can come back and run it both ways. We could leave it as cash for now. We could well, come I back think that's a big part of my question. Okay. is what's the smart thing to do with that? And okay. do we maybe do half and half? Yeah, you know, leave yep. half of it cash. Yep. Okay, I think that that let's let's for a moment leave it as cash because if okay. you can afford to leave it as cash, that might give you a little bit of peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And then if you wanted to invest it, you could, but at least you would have the peace of mind that hey, I don't really have to take risk with this money if I don't have to. Um, if I if I if it's if I don't financially need to. So I'm just going to go through and again, my software will default to a five and a quarter um, investment return for moderately conservative. Sometimes I just run it a touch more conservative than that. And I drop it to four and a half um, just because I, I don't know where bond rates will be long term. I don't know that they will equal their very long term averages of five to six percent. They've been incredibly low in the last decade. And I don't know that they will revert back to their very long term returns, at least in the coming decade or two. So I'm just going to try to be a little bit conservative with that. So you can see that I'm using like four and a half, five percent returns. That's a small chunk of money anyway. Um, and then I'm going to leave this 
567000 your cash position. I'm going to leave that in cash, but let's give it at least a percent interest. Okay. How about that? I was going to say, you'll anything put, more than that, you, you just you don't, don't know. know right? if, if the Fed drops interest rates right. again, then okay. yeah. So that's this is like high yield savings, maybe a CD, um, but let's at least assign, uh, uh, assign a little bit of return okay. to that. Okay, so are you good with the assumptions I made regarding how earnings on your money for the duration of your plan. Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so now we're at the point where we're gonna pull up some reports. The first report I pull up, and again, if anyone wants to follow along and look at these reports um, on your computer, go to join.me forward slash McNamara Financial. Um, the first report we're gonna look at is a cash flow report, and I'm keeping it really simple, and I'm just showing 2019, current year. So cash flow report is just like a spreadsheet type report where it shows your your inflows at the top or your earned income. And actually, this is a little bit hard to look at. I'm just going to clean up that one section. Because we're in the middle of the year, the software knows that you've had some earnings in your portfolio through the year, let that taxable account. Mm -hmm. it, and, and, and while that's true, it makes my cash flow report very hard to look at. So it, this that changes the taxability in current year just a, just a little bit nominally. Um, so I'm just going to clean that up a little bit and actually I just wanted to make one quick change. One of the reasons that I like the cash flow report first is it because it helps me ensure that the data entry is is the way that I want it to be. Um, I'm just clicking around to make, uh, just want to default that your non-retirement account, that you're reinvesting dividends because most people, uh -huh. especially while you're working, are, you're reinvesting dividends in that. Right. Um, and I guess same thing with your cash position. Um, where it's just re reinvesting while it's staying in the, for that one, it's just staying in the bank or the money market. Okay, because that will just, that kind of, uh, the um, cash flow report is impacted by that as well. All right, so Kat, go ahead, do you have a question? Um, on the 100,000 emergency fund, do you put anything in there? Do you put a 1% in there for that or no? I don't, it's an, it's uh, it's a moot point because um, the software ignores that. Okay. The software ignores that from a plan, so we don't need to add any earnings. It's not spending it anyway, and it's not affecting the big picture. Okay. So your, your ability to retire, has that has no impact on your ability to gotcha. retire in this example. Okay. In this model. All right, so cash flow, so earned income at the top, gross before tax. Uh, required distribution from your inherited IRA, Mm -hmm. I didn't know the value end of year, so that's just a ballpark guess, but it's probably not too far off. And I think it's a little lower than that, yep. but that's fine. Okay. Um, and then this is uh, like uh, earned income or that, that taxable income and in your non-retirement chunks of money will show as investment income, but it will reinvest it down here because it knows you don't need it in your life at least yet. So earned it. And again, your earned income, your dividends and interest, I know will be higher than that for the year, but because we're midway, it just cleans up my cash flow report. You'll see that next year it's actually larger. Um, and then down here we have your itemization of expenses as we walk through housing, food, utilities, clothing, hair, travel, etc. So that it, I'm sort of broad grouping those in broad categories and then we're totaling them here plus healthcare we add to that plus actually down here this is property taxes you can see down here. So we have your expenses at this is like 65,000, 71,000 and I think you had totaled them up to just over 70,000. Oh, wait, you had 84,000 per year. Oh no, hold on, what did we do wrong? Um, you had totaled, you had totaled up your expenses to be 80, oh no, this was your income, I'm sorry, this was your income. This was your net monthly income. Um, I don't know that you totaled your expenses. Okay. All right. That's fine. All right. So based on every, all the numbers you gave me for your expenses, you gave me them on a monthly basis. I'm, I'm adding those up to be about $71,000 per year, Sounds um, right. which is about six grand a month. Okay. okay. Yep. So and that's all in, including like healthcare, you had a little deduction from your paycheck from that. And then, um, actually I'm going to, yeah, let's walk through this. So, this, so the, the way that this report will work is that it will show gross income at the top and sources of income at the top and then outflows at the bottom, which and your outflows are your expenses in your life, what you're putting in your 401k and what your federal, state, and payroll taxes are. So the software will estimate your federal, state, and FICA taxes. It's usually pretty close. Um, 
and the software will balance it at the end. So it'll say, okay, here's your income, here's your expenses, including taxes. Is there anything left over or are you running a deficit? So at the very bottom of this report, the, the software will show a surplus or a deficit. For you, based on your income and you're maxing the 401k and your taxes and spending at about 76 grand a month, it's showing that you have a surplus of about 14,000 over the course of the year, or that's a little over $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. So first question to you is, does it sound about right? Right, that you have about $1,000 left over in your checking account at the end of every month. Does your checking account grow, generally speaking, as the months go by? So right now it doesn't because I'm paying estimated taxes on a quarterly basis based on last year. Okay. And so... Because you had that bump in income last year? And it's almost $12,000 for okay. the year. Okay. So okay. So right now it feels like it's kind of a wash. Now, hopefully and some of that goes away. That's right, because your tax bump last year was related to an inheritance, right? Yes. You said that, okay. So so it's almost the same. Okay, so I'm gonna assume that you'll get a tax return this year, probably because your income will be pretty substantially lower this year than it was last year, right? Because of that one-time $40,000 tax bump you had last year. Right, but I also have a... a bump up in my income up, up, over yeah, last yeah, year. Yeah. And last year, the withholding went down. And so okay. I owed because of that. Okay. Too. All right. Why don't I, so why don't I add a little, um, sometimes what I do is I add like a little bit of a buffer expense. Okay. So if we, if we think that you're, so basically what you're saying is that your expenses all in, including taxes, are actually probably higher than what I'm modeling here because you don't actually have $1,000 left over at the end of the month. Right. Okay, so I'm just gonna add a little bit of a buffer. Okay. Because what I don't wanna do is inaccurately project lower than accurate expenses for the duration of your plan, for the duration of your life. Okay. You okay with that? Yes. I, so I can do that. I can add a buffer so that I'm not showing, um, I'm showing you actually spending at a little bit of a higher level. Or I could ask you this, are you very, very, very comfortable with the assumptions regarding your spending that you gave me on your budget worksheet? I'd put in the buffer. All right, <laughs> all right. I feel better putting in the buffer. Um, and I know, and the, your, the theme for today was, uh, let's run this conservatively anyway. So I'm gonna put in a buffer and I can put it, bugger, <laughs> I can pull in, I can put in the full thousand a month, which will essentially even out your cash flow so that your cash flow is break even. Okay. Okay. So I'm gonna put in a thousand dollars a month. For for now that mm, for now that buffer is gonna go indefinitely, but uh, we can come back and change that. Okay. And and and, and what like for for if you were my client, I would say we got to monitor this ongoing. Like I need you to be paying ex attention to your expenses, not necessarily every month, but but I need you to pay some close attention to make sure that this is accurate. Because maybe because that buffer could be a big swing for someone. A thousand dollar a month buffer, if it's not accurate, could make this plan look not as successful as it really is. Right. Alternatively, if we don't put the buffer in and you actually are spending at a higher level, then then we're then then we're running a plan that's not accurate and it could give you a false sense of security. So that's a pretty that could be a pretty big swing. I'm gonna leave it in for now and we're gonna run some more reports and see how it looks. Okay. So I have that buffer in. So now if I refresh this cash flow report, you're gonna see that we virtually virtually eliminated that surplus. Um, one of the things we can do on this report is we can show multiple years at a time. So I'm just gonna project out like five years and we'll see five different columns here. And so you can see how, look at the very top, we have your income from work going away halfway through 2021 when you're 62. Um, we have your, um, come down here. Go ahead, did you have a question? So couldn't we get rid of that $1,000 a month buffer at 62? We can do that. Because the, then the income if is going down. So I won't have that tax burden that I'm spending that $12,000 a year we, on right now. We can do that. The, the software will do a year over year detailed tiered tax calculation for you. Okay. And it is pretty close, but yeah, we can we can do that. If we think that you're if we think that the here that's not right. If we think that your the the difference right now or the bogey is you is that 
is the taxes, and then we think it will be evened out at retirement, then I can end that at retirement. Yeah, I can okay. do that. So you'll see there, if we go back to that cash flow report, um, you can see that I put that $12,000 buffer, but then it then it goes away at retirement. Okay, so halfway great. through that year. Um, you can see right here that, remember, we adjusted your travel expenses in retirement. So we have um, travel now at 12,000 a year, staying flat, and then travel in retirement, at, that was like 1,100 a year, and that, so then your travel budget ex, uh, doubles in retirement. Right. And you can see how your healthcare changes. So if healthcare expenses are low now, and then if you turn 62 and retire, you're bumping onto that individual plan. Expenses can be quite high, and then it's gonna adjust again at 65. You can see your retirement plan contributions are in existence for a couple more years, and then they're eliminated, obviously. Um, and then you can see how actually the tax calculation changes when you get to retirement. Um, and the re it's actually showing you with very little to no state uh, federal taxes in retirement because it's going to show you, because we didn't collect social security and it's gonna show a full draw from your cash. Oh, non okay. Essentially non-taxable. And again, that may or may not be what we would suggest for you. I know, I told you this would fly by. <laughs> We're in the meat of it now. This We have plenty of time after the break to, to w finish walking through this analysis. We're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We are educating the investors and the planners of the South Shore and the Merrimack Valley this morning. I have a guest in studio whose name was changed, uh, of course, to um, protect her identity. Uh, so, we're, so stage name Cindy Hill is with me in studio this morning, and we are doing we're creating a financial plan for her and ensuring that she is going to be uh, able to financially uh, able to retire at 62, and and that her retirement plan will look financially feasible um, from 62 to her anticipated life expectancy of 100. Uh, she has some longevity in her family, so we're gonna we're gonna plan conservatively there. Um, and so we're just getting to like the good stuff here, and I and we were kind of doing some stuff off air um, just because I was worried about running out of time here with Cindy. Um, if you want to join, if you want to follow us, please go to join.me forward slash McNamara financial. And you can follow along and see some of these reports I'm looking at right here with Cindy. So we did all of our data entry and now we're like Let's see what it looks like, Cindy. So I pulled up um, a report, which is just a really good, I think it's a good visual of the retirement years. It's a bar chart and it's a visual of the retirement years. And there's a line at the top that, um, it, it, the, the light blue line here, Cindy, as I was explaining off air, this represents your expenses and it's it's an it's a, it's a line that goes northeast so it's an in so this just models your expenses over time increasing f uh, for from inflation mm -hmm. and actually your, your expenses the blue line represents your expenses including taxes okay. so some of these numbers might look really high first of all they're in future dollars so as we get out 10 20 30 years future dollars also it includes an estimate for taxes and you can actually see here that your expenses are relatively low like a hundred thousand dollars a year in in the early years of retirement and then there's a bump and it goes up to about 150 much of that in this year is tax related because because your your where your income will come from changes because when you turn 70 and a half and you're required to draw from your retirement accounts which are fairly sizable you're going to have more taxable income in your life than you might have in prior years right um which opens up an opportunity for some tax planning to you, but that might be a whole nother show. But what this chart will, will, will show you is, hypothetically speaking, where is your income coming from, number one? And number two, do I run out of money? Right. <laughs> so so he, income sources are down here, that's like teal color, is your fixed income, your social security. I have a very low inflationary assumption on that. I think I use one and a half percent. So modeling a little bit of cost of living adjustment there, but nothing too optimistic. Um, and then the the, orange color here is your required distributions from your portfolio. Cindy has an inherited IRA, about $100,000. So right now you have a small required distribution annually from that for three, four, 5,000 a year. And then once you turn 70 and a half, right now you have over about a million dollars and over a million dollars, 1.1, 1.2 in retirement. So sizable in today's dollars and projected to be even more sizable in retirement as you're adding to your 401k plus hopefully growth in the markets. Um, and so your your required distributions could be quite substantial. And so, and, and this is what this orange is modeling um, uh, required distributions in your future. And then the other color, this dark blue, this is money coming from non-retirement accounts. So you have that, 567,000 in that money market position and also mm -hmm. 450,000 in an investment account. So again, you have about a million dollars in non-retirement monies 
and it's gonna, the, the default in the software is that it, year over year, it will always draw from the most tax efficient place of, of a pot of money that it can. So for you in, in current year, so there's a difference between what's most tax efficient over the life of your plan and what, or there might be a difference between what's most tax efficient for the life of your plan and in any given year. But the, again, that might be another conversation, but in any given year, the software will first draw from cash. If there's not enough cash, then it will go to invested non-retirement accounts. And then lastly, it will go to retirement accounts because, because drawing money from your retirement account, IRA rollover, 401k, drawing from there, fully taxable at your income rate in a given year. So it will always def delay that if it can, where you have other places to, of money where it can draw from, it's going to delay going to your retirement plan until it has to okay. at 70 and a half. That's just a default in the software. So for you, it's modeling from 62 to 70, drawing essentially from that large cash position that we're modeling for you, half a million dollars in cash. And it's gonna show that you're gonna be drawing from that, like in the first year, it's drawing in the first full year with there's no earned income, $85,000 from that cash position. So 85 to $90,000, it's drawing from your cash. And as, as you can see from this cash flow projection, we touched on it for a moment off air, is that if you stop working and then like the following year, you have no earned income, you didn't collect social security yet because we're delaying it and you're drawing not from your retirement plan, but from your cash, you're gonna have like, pretty much no taxable income. So the software is assuming you have, you're not paying any federal taxes that year because you have your personal, your, I'm sorry, your standard deduction um, and very little state taxes that year. And so, like I was saying, that, that opens up an opportunity for you to actually draw a little bit from a retirement plan and still pay almost no taxes on it or taxes at a very low rate. So the final iteration of this, Cindy, as we ch touched on earlier, is from a logistics point of view, where do I draw my money from to, in to ensure sustainability of my assets, but also to bear in mind taxes, not only in current year, but over the duration of my plan. Mm -hmm. So, so where is in, the first year of your retirement, sure, it's most tax efficient to draw down my cash, then I have no taxable income. That's certainly tax efficient. But if you're in a, like a, the lowest tax bracket for eight years, and then all of a sudden your required distributions are $100,000, you're gonna be in a different tax bracket at that point, not to mention tax code is going to change, revert back to previous tax code by then. I love taxes, if you can't tell, I'm getting a little too detailed, but, but you, that just might open up an opportunity for you to think about, maybe I do draw a little bit from my retirement account because I'm gonna be paying taxes at 12%, if not zero, and draw that down to reduce my required distribution later. Does that so make sense? So might that be an opportunity to convert money to a Roth? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. So you, so it, it can, you can do a Roth conversion, no income limits for that, where you're paying your taxes and you're converting it to a Roth, but then you're still gonna be drawing money from cash. So you can either, Roth conversions make a lot of sense when you don't have need for the income, but where you have need for income, you, you do the Roth conversion, but then also draw from your cash. So you could do that, or you could just take money from your retirement account and spend it. Okay. And then you're not drawing as much from your cash. Okay. Either one, I'm, I'm fine with the Roth conversion though. Yeah, either, either one. Um, so this is a great, this chart looks great. It's modeling that there's no shortfall in that 38 year projection to age 100. There's no bright red. Bright red in this chart is not a good color. So if we saw bright red, we were gonna have to immediately change our model. Um, but no shortfall projected. You can see that in later years, see how this orange color kind of goes down a little bit. That means that you're, you, the value of your retirement accounts, you're actually starting to see capital depletion, which is okay, or, de, or depletion means running out, but, but the balance of that is going down, but that's okay. Um, th this chart is generated under the assumption that you earn that same rate of return on your assets every year indefinitely, which we know as, as an investor that that's not realistic. It, we've assumed that Cindy is, is tilting to the conservative with her monies, plus has a cash position. So her earnings on the invested monies we're assuming are four and a half to 5%. So this chart is generated assuming your monies are in four and a half to 5% every year for 38 years. Not realistic, but makes for a lovely little, uh, chart there. So the next um, 
that chart looked great, all well and good. But the next report that I run is what's called a Monte Carlo, which is a probability analysis. You may have heard that term. They uh-huh. use Monte Carlos in other professions as well. Um, and Monte Carlo will, let me just run a thousand. Um, it takes like a minute or so to run, 30 seconds. Um, Monte Carlo will, uh, it'll. if you think of that, like if hypothetically speaking, you did earn the same rate of return every year indefinitely, and that chart that we were just looking at, think of that as one iteration of your financial future. Hypothetically speaking, that might happen. Same rate of return every year indefinitely. The software using this probability analysis can run a thousand iterations of your plan. And in each year of each of those thousand iterations, it'll vary the rate of return on your money within historically significant bounds. So like you think about, um, I, I, I'd like to describe it as like an orbit, right? A, a conservative portfolio, let's say has a target return of four to 5%. But if you think about an orbit, where do those returns generally fall in a conservative portfolio? They fall close to that average. The orbit is tight or it's a small orbit, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm moving my finger around. Only Cindy and Tim can see me. <laughs> but, but a conservative portfolio will have a range of returns fairly close to that average, a small orbit. If you had, if you had your money invested aggressively, which I no longer think is very appropriate for you, but younger people, their, their target return might be a touch higher, but also their orbit or their range of returns is quite wide and can be significant. We can have great double digit years and aggressive portfolios and then deep uh, double digit years on the downside also in aggressive portfolios. So that orbit is larger. So the software will vary the rate of returns I give the software this information and we have, it's called a standard deviation, which is a measure of range of returns. And we have historical data to help us uh, back into what that, what we should assume for a standard deviation. Meaning I'm telling the software that you're invested fairly conservatively or we'll assume going forward. And then your range of return is going to be fairly close to that uh, assumed rate of return. Um, So all in all to age a hundred, that chart looked great where there was no red in the chart, but I did point out that we were starting to see some capital depletion. So to age 100, the software will run a a, a thousand iterations and it will give you a percent chance of success, meaning that it's showing that Cindy has a 64% chance of not running out of those financial assets before she's 100. So ignoring the equity in the home and ignoring $100,000 of emergency cash. So there, so because we're doing a long model here for you to age 100, there is um, what is that? A 36% chance that you run out of your financial assets before you're a hundred. But I'm going to guess that if we changed your life expectancy to like 95, this would look great. Okay. So a lot of this is longevity risk. Longevity risk is a thing. Mm-hmm. It, it, people that live long lives, you need more assets to carry you for that long life. Couple changes that we can make. Number one, we had those travel expenses going to age 100. Remember, we slowly decrease them, right. but we could slowly decrease them and then stop them at like 90 or 92. Uh, we can also play around with, um, with, well, so number one, I guess, how do you feel about that? Probably not as oh, great I, a number, or are you, you good with this? No, you, I'm good with the suggestion of, okay. of pulling down the travel expenses. You know, yeah, so that, that was kind of a 90. like, let's just throw that in and see how it looks. Um, but so, you know, people can feel about these results as yeah, however they want. But I would feel more comfortable if we were putting together a plan that had 80, 85, 90, 95% success. Right. So that we're kind of all on the same page that like, even if we have some terrible markets here in our future, like we're, this is going to be okay. Like this rough plan is going to be okay. And it's not like you create a plan and forget it. Like you'd, you know, you'd, you'd monitor this ongoing as markets change and as things change, but let's just make that, that change in um, that travel expense like we could, you know, stop it at age 90. Um, we could just stop one of them or we could actually stop both. We could stop both of them at age 90. Uh, let me just do that really quick. And then we'll rerun. Um, I like to rerun this chart first, because the chart, because I feel like I, um, I don't know, maybe I just like to see how it changes. Yeah, you can see actually right here, see how your expenses then drop down. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, okay, maybe when Cindy gets to age 90, not as active at that time and maybe not traveling as much. So expenses drop down over time. So we'll make that change. And then we can just rerun this probability analysis to see how 
um, you know, and this is probably more accurate anyway, um, you know, that, that most people wouldn't be traveling at that level anyway until, um, till age 100. Um, so we'll just rerun that and, and see how this changes. I'm gonna guess, I know it's gonna increase it because that, that was a financially positive change for the life of the plan. Um, I just don't know. It's hard to guess the, the impact of that, right. the significant, right. how significant that impact was. So that actually bumped your odds of success about 10 points. So now all of a sudden it's saying, well, there's a 73% chance that you have enough assets to take you at this spending level, plus building in a little bit more um, travel to age 100. Let me just make a quick change. I just want you to see the, a lot of this stuff is like, you can't control how long you're gonna live really. But a lot of this is, I just want you to see almost like where the, where the sensitivity is. I, I, I'm just changing Cindy's life expectancy quickly to age 95 from 100. And not that I don't want you to live a long life. I certainly do, you know, but I just want you to know you know, some people might feel comforted. Well, seventy-three percent chance—that's not a great plan. But maybe you're comforted by the fact that maybe there's like a ninety-eight percent chance that you have enough money to last to ninety-five, and then beyond that, you know, I, right. you you also have your equity in your home to fall back on, and we ignored a hundred grand in your emergency reserve. So there, you know, there's always that. Um, but I just wanted to—I I don't know. I guess I just wanted you to see that because you might not live to be 100 and I don't want you to have to work another year or two if you don't have to. Can, That's your choice, obviously. Go ahead. Can you also look at diversifying the risk on part yes, of the portfolio? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yep. And so by the way, to age 95, 87% chance of success. So that's a pretty good plan right there, right? Mm -hmm. If you if you can retire at 62, your money's still for now tilting to the conservative and and have enough assets to, to for you to live your best life until 95, that's a pretty good plan. But yes, let me I want me to put this back at 100, life expectancy at 100, and then we can certainly I do strongly believe in portfolio diversification. Let me take um let me take, well, this is your largest asset, but let me take your retirement account for a moment and make that a moderate risk instead of moderately conservative. And I could assume like a five and a half or a 6% return. What do you think? I think so. Well, it, especially if I'm not I'm gonna, going to touch it. Yeah. You're, if I'm not going to touch it till I'm 70, then there. couldn't I take Absol more risk for the next 10 years? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. It, unfortunately, in my oh. software, I don't have the ability to like- um, Give it a time limit? You, yeah. My only options in the software are pre-retirement return, retirement return. That's okay. one limitation of this software that I'm not happy with. I generally speaking like the software, but absolutely you could where right now you have a 10 year time horizon before you even need to draw anything from your retirement account. So certainly you could still be moderate, moderately aggressive with that and then not ratchet it down later. Absolutely. I just can't quite model that perfectly in the software. Okay. So I'm just going to model a balanced portfolio where over time your earnings are about a point per a, a percent per year higher. On just a chunk. On just, just a, chunk. a chunk. I happen to do it on your largest chunk though. But that's okay. Um, but uh, but it's the retirement right. chunk, right? right? Because because you have a million dollars in non-retirement and you can certainly live off of that for 10 years. And so, yeah, I, I generally speaking, when I, when I increase risk, I don't like to always do it on the largest uh, piece of uh, the portfolio. If we had more time, I would separate that into like a half a million chunk and a half a million mm -hmm. chunk and I would make one of them more aggressive. But in, in reality, that's probably what I would do. Um, I generally like to, you know, if someone's retirement plan is looking pretty successful, I, I don't like to increase the risk on like their largest account. I might do that on other accounts, but um, just for purposes of, just because we're running out of time a little bit. Um, so this is, I, I increase the risk just to a mo moderate portfolio, balanced portfolio, which is even less risk than you're taking now with those chunks of money. Right. Um, and this is back to age 100. So retirement at 62, living to age 100, ratcheted up the risk in that retirement account just to a moderate risk and 85% chance of things looking just great for you to age 100. Okay, So great. that's a pretty good plan and hopefully you feel pretty good about that. Some people, some people are funny. Some people are, I really wanna see 99%, you know? But right. people can feel differently about it. I think that that's very comfortable, especially because you have the property, the equity in the property to fall back on. Mm -hmm. um, and especially because, um, you know, th this is a very long projection and it's not, again, it's not like you just create this plan and then never, 
look at look it at again. it again. You look at it again as markets change. You know, you have good markets and maybe your you know spending is a touch higher, or if you have poor markets, you know, and you have discretionary expenses. It's not like you couldn't cut back a little bit if you had to, mm-hmm. but you just you know you you monitor it ongoing. Um, okay, so for you, I, let's just like stop here for a moment in terms of the modeling of of the plan. But I wanted to talk about logistics because because what you said to me off air was. Um, you know, you, you, first of all, congratulations. You've done a lot of things right in your financial world. You've saved good amount of money. I know you got an inheritance too. That's great. You have, you have no debt, literally. Right. Um, you, you, you make good money. You could continue working if you wanted to. Um, but you, you have a lot of flexibility here and you've done a lot of things right. You have, you know, overall, like I said earlier, you know, exposure, you know, broadly appropriate asset allocation exposure, um, large cash position if things go awry, whatever temporarily. So you've done a lot of things things right. But what you said to me off air was, I've like been thinking about this and I feel like I'm doing okay, but how do I do it? So I wanted to get to that point where we're talking logistics for a moment. And so like I touched on it, let's just look at these retirement years. And so for, for example, in the first full year of your retirement, so maybe that's 2022, the software is going to draw 85. The software thinks that you need $85,000 after taxes, because that's taking from cash, so that's essentially after taxes to meet your expenses, which sounds about right, because mm-hmm. you're spending about 70 now, and we put in $12,000 a year of travel. Right. So you need about $85,000 a year to live your life. So again, one option is draw from my cash, because I have no taxes to do that, and you would draw was that $7,000 a month from your cash. And you would just kind of monitor that to make sure that I'm sort of living within my rough budget. Not that it has to be perfect, but just Mm -hmm. making sure you're not, because what you don't want to do is put together a retirement plan that looks great based on spending $7,000 a month, but you're actually spending $10,000 a month. And you don't want five years to go by and you realize you're spending way too much. And oh, you know, what do I do now? Um, So, but I, I do think you have an opportunity to, diversify where you're drawing that 7,000 a month, even if it means paying a little bit of taxes at 12% right. from a retirement account. Now we just took a little bit more risk with your retirement because you don't really need to draw from it, but but you could, you know, you could model like let's take even even $1,000 or $1,500 a month from a retirement account, mm-hmm. which allows you to realize some income while you're in a low tax bracket. It allows you to reduce your forced draw from that retirement account later. Um, and it just allows you to take advantage of tax bracket changes in your future. So I would like manually put in this um, strategy here where we're gonna redeem from the IRA something like, I'm just gonna put in for a moment, $1,500 a month starting at retirement. And we'll have that go um, for eight years, which brings you to your required distributions. And and then you're gonna be drawing from it anyway. So now you're gonna see when I rerun this cash flow that in retirement, here's a little draw from your retirement account. Mm -hmm. Now your draw from cash is still 70 grand, which is still a substantial amount, but you have that large cash position. So that's not depleting it too, too quickly. and you're gonna see down here that you're still paying very little taxes. You're taking 18 grand, this is all hypothetical, but it's probably sure. pretty close. You're taking 18 grand of taxable income from your retirement account. You're paying $1,000 in state to, in federal taxes. Mm-hmm. That's a really low, that's like 5%, right? Cause you have your standard deduction and stuff. So you could take advantage of paying taxes at a low rate for a period of time, get some money out of that retirement account. Because if you're, again, your required draw later might be, I mean, I used to be able to click on this chart and it would tell me the number, but your required draw from that portfolio later is gonna sound like a huge number because it's in future dollars. But if we bump out to the to that year when you turn 70, which is 20, uh, what year is that? Hold on, 2030. Right, you're, 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 you're turning right. you, it's, it's pulling, you know, 60, 65,000, I'm sorry, 70, $75,000 from your retirement accounts that year, because with portfolio growth, you could have million and a half, couple million in retirement at that point. And even a 3.65% draw from that could be a substantial amount and that could bump you a tax bracket. So you just wanna make sure you, you know, you can kind of eyeball the big picture and say, well, you know, like I said earlier, what, what what is most tax efficient in current year isn't always what's most tax efficient if you consider the long-term plan. Right. So that's just something you might want to consider. Also, I don't, you know, 
Bearing in mind what markets do, you have a $560,000 cash position and a $450,000 invested non-retirement position. Pulling money from that invested account is also quite tax efficient because your tax basis is high, meaning your uh, your your the capital gains taxes you're going to pay are pretty low. Based, you know, you're certainly going to be paying less than in, uh, income rates on those dollars. So you might want to. Like in good, if you have a year where there's like good years in the markets and that invested non-retirement account has done well, take some of those profits. Don't draw your cash down that year. Take some profits from that account. Maybe you just take the dividends and interest that that account earns, or maybe you just take, you know, 5% in that given year from that account and and take advantage of, of the good years that you have and allow you to retain that cash position, which is a conservative uh, practice. And then maybe if there's a downturn in the market, maybe you don't draw from that invested account that year and you draw from your cash and you let that account recover. So you can kind of, you have enough flexibility where you can kind of play those market related tax bracket related games for lack of a better word in your, in your income strategy. So that's like something that I would practice with my clients where when you have enough flexibility, I like maybe toward the end of the year, I might make a call regarding, okay, what might your tax bracket be this year and how much can we draw from a retirement account? I also might make a call regarding, like I was just talking about, you have this non-retirement account. What were the earnings on it year to date? Is it up five, 6%? Let's take a distribution and you can live off that for a period of time while you, while you keep your cash position. So, you know, you, you'll, you'll have some flexibility regarding your actual income plan and where you're going to get that $7,000 after taxes per month. Um, oh my gosh, Cindy, we only have two minutes left. I can't believe where two hours goes. This is so much fun. Um, what, do you have any questions for me? Well, about the I, whole process. Yes. So, you know, I, I think you're talking, and correct me if I'm wrong, That's this is me managing this. But if I'm going to have somebody else manage it, yep. whether it's you or somebody else, yep. and there's a cost associated with that, yep. what is the cost associated with it? And then how do you figure that into this? Fair enough question. Anytime, first of all, we talk to our clients about target rates of return. And so the target rates, actually, that's a really good question. The target rates of return that I put in this software are after investment costs, including my management fee. Okay. So when I invest someone in a moderately conservative portfolio, I think they can earn four or five, five and a half percent net after all costs, including portfolio costs and our management fee. Okay. So I already baked that into this plan, which is actually a really good point. So if you were managing it on your own, maybe you want to bump up those rates of rate of return assumptions if you're not going to have the expenses that someone that works with a professional might have. So that's a really good question. Um, I would love to work with you, Cindy. <laughs> this is a great plan. I've already done a lot of the work, uh, but give me a call if you would like to do that. I apologize that we ran out of time. I, I, I told you off air that I will, of course, finish up this scenario for you as a big thank you for joining me this morning on the air. Um, again, this is my volunteer, Cindy Hill, who, who allowed me to work through a retirement scenario with her, which looks great. Congratulations, Cindy. It looks like no problem retiring around age 62, maybe working out some of the specifics, right. but no problem pulling off retirement and, and leaving yourself of that stress in the coming year or two. Um, so that's great. Congratulations. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I hope that was good, enjoyable radio this morning. It was certainly enjoyable for me. Um, you're listening to McNamara on Money. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.